Tribe Memphis. Uh, our loyal listeners who actually know what Ty Smith Sr. looks like might have seen him walking around lately and been like, dude, has he gotten swole? And uh, yes, he has because he goes to Iron Tribe. He works out there frequently. I'm not going to tell you what time because that would be creepy. But Iron Tribe does have three locations throughout Memphis Germantown, downtown, and East Memphis. They offer high-intensity workouts and total body fitness programs. Your membership actually gets you access to all three locations and the ability to work out at any time that you want. So if you're interested, whether you want to make a change from just your traditional gym, I'm not going to name names, and you're maybe uh, struggling with accountability, or if you just want to work out with Ty, because that's just enough in and of itself to go and get swole, then please go to memphisirontribe.com, fill out the form. You can see the, the call to action up there uh, in the uh, top of the navigation bar. Request information. Let the team from Iron Tribe know that you heard about Iron Tribe from the Grizzden pod, and you will indeed, I have been guaranteed from the owner himself, believe it or not, that you will get a discount on your first month of membership. It's time to get swole. Fun, fast, fit, Iron Tribe, Memphis. Look forward to seeing you there. Welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Podcast. We are all here. Kraft is here. What's up, Kraft? Good. My voice is a lot better than the last quarterly reports. So I'm I'm happy to say. I don't. It might be bad for everybody else, but I'm I'm happy about it. Swole Ty is here. Happy to be here. <laughs> and I'm not swole at all, for the record. And Brantley is here. Hey guys, glad to be here. The Grizzlies are sitting at 30 and 13. They are winners of 10 straight games. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, we have a game tonight against the Cleveland Cavaliers at home, which is going to be a really fun one. And right now the Grizzlies are seventh in offense. They are first in defense and they are second in net rating at a 5.8, just trailing the Boston Celtics. Those Cleveland Cavaliers are third in that rating. So this is going to be one of the best opponents that we have uh, played in a, in a while, it seems. Um, but we'll get into all of that soon. Here's how this pod is going to work. We are going to talk, we're about halfway through the season. And so we are going to give everybody an opportunity to, you know, share what they, they have noticed, any observations. We'll, we'll maybe have a few spirited debates in here but then the meat of this podcast if you will is going to be a trade value rankings we have all been hard at work for for weeks on end on our trade value lists and trade season is is less than a month away we're about three weeks out it's important to have this conversation now because i think this is the best way to frame how we and the front office both most likely are looking at our assets in comparison to the market at large. And by the end of our trade value rankings, I'm sure that we can get into some ideas of trades. I know on the most, one of the most recent weekend updates, Kraft and I laid out a few names, but with the full crew here, we'll get into that. And so that's, that's the plan. 
for the pod. But first, let's start with sort of our observations from the halfway point. And Kraft, we'll start with you. What have you noticed, maybe as far as what we talked about maybe in the quarterly report as it relates to where we're sitting now, is there anything that you would like to, um, you know, update what your thoughts were then versus now? Yeah, so uh, two things. The first would be that um, in the last quarterly report, we were talking about that we weren't healthy. We were waiting to get healthy. Um, you know, sadly, we were like, but, you know, Bain's going to come back in a week. Well, that ended up being about three weeks. But uh, but we were basically wondering at the time, we were really good offensively with Bain and Jaw. Uh, Dylan had just started coming back. We had started out really slow on defense. We were hoping that defensive rating would go up. And so one of the big things that I've noticed is obviously with Jaron coming back into the fold, he'd been back just for a little bit at that point. Um, you know, obviously we have climbed all the way to the number one defense in the NBA. And, but then we also, Bain did not come back as soon as we thought. And so our offensive kind of struggled, but now we're slowly creeping up to where I believe right now, at least I, I tend to be more of a cleaning the glass guy, but I believe we're seventh in offense and first in defense. So now top 10 in both. And of course, then the question remains with, if we can stay healthy, uh, with especially our main three guys, and then with also Dylan being healthy, can we get in that top five in offense and defense? I feel like with full health, we're going to be one or two in defense the rest of the year, it feels like. but um, So that's one thing is that we, uh, I f- so far feels like when we are fully healthy, we are elite and we are contenders. And then the second thing, and especially coming off the last uh, time we kind of got together and had that quarterly report, is when's the last time anybody thought about DeAnthony Melton? When is the last time you saw anybody, uh, you know, tweeting, uh, upset about the trades we made, about us missing Melton, missing Kyle Anderson. fast break breakfast you're talking about? Yeah, so like fast breaks even not even, like maybe now it's like down to once every three or four days he's tweeting out about Melton. So, but that's like, but that, you know, jumped out because, you know, we, spent you know and I thought it was a great discussion we spent 10 to 15 minutes on Melton uh, and talking about that trade and why the front office did it and like I realized for myself even I even thought about that in a month like thought about what we could have on the roster that you know that I am and so one thing I would say is that I have fallen in love with this roster that doesn't mean we're going to talk about it more later uh there's ways we can improve and things but uh but I just think what we had last year is you know and can that be as good as this year I think that question's been answered like I think we're as good at least as good as last year um and I would argue we're better but that's what I would say what do you think Ty what's what's you know stuck out to you so far yeah so this I guess not dating back to last quarterly report but going off craft kind of what you just said does this not kind of question for the group does this not fear feel eerily similar to last year in the fact that we just got, we've won 10 in a row. We have the second best point differential in the entire NBA. And yet it's still like, there's this, this huge pause of like, what is this team? What can they really be? What are they? They're young. They need more. They need to make a trade. The, you're, saying, you're saying the huge pause nationally? Or yes. Like yeah, yeah. Not within our group of us four right here, but it's just like at large, it's like there's this, I guess a version of like disrespect. Um, and to me last year, 
it was maybe a little bit warranted because we hadn't been, you know, we hadn't done anything, hadn't been anywhere. This year, it's like, well, I mean, you know, like I feel like we've kind of earned some stripes. I feel like we took some steps, and now it's time to kind of take us seriously, but it's just people, like, won't do it. They, like, won't go on the ledge and be like, this team is a true contender as constructed. Um, Craft, your point, you love this team. We watched Notting Hill the other night. It reminded me of Julia Roberts. I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking her, <laughs> asking him to love her. It's like you with this team. <laughs> Loved it. Had to do it. <laughs> but, but, but I think the t- I, yeah, I don't know. It's part of me is like we are kind of to your to your point. We are like we are molding into like what I think we're going to be moving forward. Um, I think like things are clicking. Players are in certain roles. Um, we just look like the team like almost at our like peak. We are clicking on all cylinders at the moment, especially coming from that three-slash-four-game stretch where we were like, uh-oh. Um, one of the most in, you know, encouraging parts to me is we quickly responded from that. It was like almost like three bad games, four bad games, go to Toronto, win double digits, and then after that, like immediately play Sacramento, who's playing really well, win at home, beat the Pels, they were injured, whatever. But we took care of business, um, and that was really encouraging. So nothing, nothing really, you know, continued. The lull didn't continue. So we got punched, and we immediately got back up. Yeah, my, my thing with the national stuff is we're already to the point where people are saying they're a regular season team, and let's look ahead to the playoffs. And I think that, to me, I'm, I'm shocked that the team in the public eye is already at that point. Because I don't think that teams, first of all, who are legitimately like that get enough credit for the, they've cracked the code, essentially, of the regular season. And it's a very long season, and we have been injured a ton, like almost more than last season, which is crazy to say. In fact, I had a stat right here. The starting five has had 194 possessions together, about 92 minutes, and they're a plus 21.6, by the way, in those minutes. Last year, the starting five had 232 possessions together, or 109 minutes total, So that's and they were a plus 25. And so we still haven't reached the amount of possessions as last year, and last year was not considered a lot. And so it already shows you the trajectory that we are on with the starting unit, and the the other part of this is I don't think that we are in the group of these teams that are just good regular season teams and let's see them in the playoffs. And I think that the the issue is a lot of people look at the Minnesota series as some sort of knock on, you know, and, and they completely ignore the Golden State uh, series, except for the those who actually watched it. And so that's the frustrating part when I'm listening to folks and everything. And I don't try to put too much stock into it because as I said on a recent text thread, I kind of like being the disrespected teams team. And I, I like having that edge, but yeah, I am with you. It is kind of weird. Um, I, I think that this, this game against Cleveland will be the first opponent in a while that truly is up to our level or should be. And we'll see if Mitchell plays or not, but I think, uh, that's going to be a really good test. And again, people might overreact about that one game, but, I've I've been really impressed with our consistency so far this season. Brantley, what do you think? Just a couple quick things. <clears throat> I think it, I was looking at sort of this win streak 
that we've been on and this time last year y'all sort of reminded me that we don't went on the similar win streak so it's kind of just looking back basically thanksgiving day on last year to this point we were like 20 and 6 this year we're right now we're 20 and 5 so it, in terms of like a code and like and you know somebody audit my math later cuz i could have missed one loss here or there this season is we're definitely 20 and 5 i, I double check that cross and tied at accounting will over here um but I just there there is something about the the system and the chemistry and you know to to craft's language the culture that is just not sexy to talk about and so it's hard to pay attention to any national narrative and feel like the team is going to get the recognitions that it's due because I like day in and day out I mean we talked about this on our crossover pod a couple weeks ago where it, you know, I was skeptical if we would really be able to take care of business in every one of these games. I felt like we needed to. I felt like they were all games that we were clearly the better team. And, like, professional business-minded basketball teams take care of business like the Grizzlies just did. And I, I, I think that can't be underscored. Like, it, we showed up, and we didn't have all of our guys every game, and we still took care of business and won – and maintained a position and separated ourselves, I think, from, you know, lesser teams in our division or conference, excuse me, where I think that's going to help itself out later in the season when we're playing in bigger, more playoff environment type games where maybe some other teams are trying to position themselves for seeding towards the end of the season. And I think we're going to look back at this stretch and be really thankful that we responded to like what Ty was saying to sort of, you know, some, some downturns like we did and, um, and, and picked it up. And the other thing that I'll just say, and this is maybe going to go into detail player by player in a little bit, but one of the things at the quarterly sort of report that we were talking about was just injuries, wanting to see the whole team starting to fit into their roles a little bit and starting to see the flow, I, I really just think we're just now getting to this point. You're really just now starting to see a game like last night where, honestly, Dylan had a terrible offensive game. And it, was, it goes unnoticed because he's not asked to carry a huge offensive load. And it didn't really matter. And not that the opponent didn't matter that much either. Uh, but... I just think that those types of things where moving forward, you know, assuming health, we're able to sort of be in a spot where we're going to get to see Jiddy in his role. We're going to get to see Santi in his role. We're going to get to see Bain come off and be the creator when Ja isn't asked to be the creator. Those things, I think, and starting to see how the team plays together that way is going to, I think, create momentum for us going into the playoffs that no one is really ready to see yet what this Grizzlies team can do in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, like, you know, I mean, just the Tyus Bain, Zaire, Brandon, Jaron lineup that we just have not gotten to see, like that comes at the beginning of these second quarters and fourth quarters just, you know, that just mashing people because like that's like kind of our bench lineup is unbelievable. And that's with Jaw just sitting on the bench getting a lot of you know, and, and so that that's just super exciting to me is to actually get to see the rotations the way they're meant to be. Um and uh, I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping we can stay healthy 
and see some of that. But that's, you know, I just think, yeah, we're still getting to where, um, you know, where, where I think we're going to be for sure. So I was looking up the odds right now for the NBA finals and I, I do a check-in of these probably once every week and a half or so. And this is the, <laughs> we don't, we can just leave that comment there. Um, I mean, day and a half. Yeah. Um, but what I noticed is when I just pulled it up for the first time in, you know, a number of days, um, this is the first time the Clippers have been below the Grizzlies in terms of odds. The Grizzlies are plus 950. Clippers are plus 1,200. These, these are two teams that couldn't be more different from each other. And I think it's important to think about it as such because you think about the Clippers, what they're doing right now, their best two players, who know, I don't even know how many games they've played together. Um, much less how many minutes they've been on the floor total for this season. They're expected to come in and completely just flip a switch in the playoffs, and we're supposed to be scared of that. And they also have a super high payroll. They brought in a bunch of guys um, that are expensive. They even signed them to some extensions. Um, They obviously couldn't be a more different market than us, and and the fan bases couldn't be any more different as well. And I think it's just really interesting to see these two teams be so close in the sports book because you're still going to have people out there talking about the Clippers and how we should fear them. But I just, I just think that where we're heading is two entirely different directions. And I I think this Clippers team could be the nail in the coffin, the hammer nail coffin, if you, if you will, of these, of these teams that think they can just buy a couple superstars, give them whatever they want and then that's going to win you an NBA title. It, I will have egg all over my face if the Clippers do end up winning the title. I just don't believe this is how you do it, and I think the Grizzlies are building completely opposite. And if we are uh, accused of, of being just a regular season team and uh, because of it, that's fine with me, but I, I still believe it will translate into the playoffs. So the, the next couple of games are a tough stretch. We go on a. We'll probably get into that detail later. But home against the Cavs, then we go to LA, to Suns, to Sacramento, to Golden State, to Minnesota. I mean, that's that's a tough little stretch. But I was reminded during just sort of the like way we're being built thing. The other thing that just like we forget about Memphis, the place, and Memphis, this team, is that what differentiates. I think when I hear the like, oh, this is just a regular season team thing. I think back to like Budenholzer Atlanta teams, Budenholzer Bucks teams before they made the Drew trade, where it's just like they couldn't get over the hump. And that was just kind of the narrative that everybody said. You never heard about those teams shit talking. This team like is a regular season team and also thinks like we want the smoke and we think that we can go out there and beat anybody. We think the only team we're worried about right now is the Celtics. Our the best, the second best, maybe best player at times player in the NBA who plays for the Memphis Grizzlies, whose name is John Morant, thinks that the only team that he's not that he has to watch film on even maybe in terms of a playoff scenario is the Celtics. And I was like, I was watching this clip of Gary Payton and uh, Kevin Garnett. If you haven't seen this clip, go find it. We'll retweet it. Basically, KG is just like, what young guards do you like in the league right now? And like, Peyton kind of thinks about it for a split second, and then he just goes on this Morant discussion, basically just saying this Morant rant. Yeah, this Mar- thank you. Yeah, but I was trying to avoid the I'm dad so pun, but and it is it's all about his moxie. 
Peyton is like he's got that old school dog in him. Like, you know, there's there's local media who love saying old school dog. Our all our superstar has got dog in him. That's amazing. And I just think that when you hear the regular season thing, this that's what's different about this squad to me. And so that makes me not concerned about it and makes me think that we're going to continue to uh, surpass expectations. Yeah, I think backing up on that, um, shockingly, I'm going to talk about the culture here for a second, but I think one difference between the, the those bud teams that were regular season teams was, you know, that they weren't all homegrown from one place. Like in that sense, we are more like the Golden State Warriors uh, that like all our guys – have only played for us for the most part, minus Steven Adams, basically, and Tyus a little bit. Um, and but they both like left bad situations and came into our situation. So so that's first of all, that I think that adds to it. Low key Pelsburn. Yes. Exactly. It's a very it's actually Take very a, drink, a very overt Pelsburn. But uh but I think, you know, uh and I, I was gonna I was going to say this for the weekend, but I'm not going to because you were talking about our culture in Dylan's bad game. And, uh, and, and I was listening to some of the post game and because I'm a g- degenerate, I listened to like all of the post game interviews, the radio one, the TV one and the Kelsey Wright Johnson in game one that's okay, tweeted that, out wow, because okay. I am, I am a degenerate. <laughs> but one of the things that I found shot like so interesting and it's like, you would think it was coordinated if you would be like, there's no way. Jaron, Bain, and Jaw, Jaw on TNT, Jaron with Rob Fisher, and Bain, uh, uh, or maybe it's different, but Bain, I think, with Kelsey Wright Johnson, they all mentioned the thing that got them going was Dylan getting a T when he got elbowed and yelled at the ref, and that got them going. And I was just thinking, because I'm sitting here the last couple games, Dylan's felt weird. He looked weird on the bench. He didn't play a lot, honestly, in the second half. And I don't know if he's still nursing that kind of injury that kept him out. But that was just something like a cultural moment of like, here are our three best players, all mentioning Dylan, all mentioning him as the reason why they had that amazing third quarter. And it's like it almost would seem planned, but I just there's just no way they were planning that on the bench. And so it's just a very interesting and I just think that that was never as someone who loved the Coach Bud, the Coach Bud Atlanta team was like my league pass team that year. Um, I've always been a Bucks guy since Giannis got on there. That they don't have that. They they those teams never had that. My other thing on that is some of our players, like if you you always hear this about the playoffs, like you need the guy, you need to have like a guy. We have that, and he's proven it. Like in the Golden State series, Jaw was what do you have like forty in both of the first two games or something like that, like essentially unguardable. Like put up fifty against the Jazz. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. We have a guy that can go toe to toe. I believe with the other team's best player on as far as like you score, I score. I truly believe that, and like. To your Clippers point, like, oh, what he's going to do with Paul George guard him. He's going to literally go right by him, just like he does everyone else. Paul George like 37. Exactly. My other point I wanted to make is not only is it Ja, but like what happened to the Minnesota series when they took Ja away. Bain goes nuts, and Bain scores 25 points a night, not to mention Ja's 17-point fourth quarter when they did all they could to take him away. They literally couldn't do it. So what I get really frustrated is it seems like, back to the national media thing, is like other – people are giving these other teams with less accomplishments 
accomplishments, much like, I don't know how to say it. I just had it and I lost it. They're like giving them more credit, I guess, than what they've deserved. They're wish casting. Yeah. It's like they are projecting and they're like, oh, well, when they get in the playoffs, when this team gets in the playoffs, like Kevin O'Connor turning into probably our least favorite national person was like, look at all the quality playoff rotation guys the Pelicans have on the roster. And I'm like, name one who's played quality playoff minutes. And the Grizzlies, I don't know, it's just very different. We have no benefit of the doubt. That's what I was going to say earlier. We are given zero benefit of the doubt. And to me, like if you look at playoff success, what it requires, we have the best defensive player in the league. We have a super, super, superstar that can go toe-to-toe with anyone else in the league. And then now, back to our previous point, we are seeing our supporting cast evolve. And to me, if you look at all that and you throw it in a stew, what you get is a legit top three in the NBA contender. And I think that's what we are. There is something on the role thing, Ty, that, and I had not, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, I'm not, I'm confessing that I'm not a degenerate, you know, in terms of like looking up DraftKings odds every other day, as well as watching all of the Grizzlies post game stuff. Although I'm glad, Kraft, I'm really glad that you are because that's really helpful insight. And I hadn't thought about this before now, but I did listen to, I do soak up any sort of national, nationalist pod that someone from the Grizz gets talked about or goes on. And I did listen to the BAME JJ Reddick podcast. And there's a point in that pod where Bain really multiple times gives lots of credit to Dylan, gives a little, I think sort of discusses some things. Maybe he, maybe Bain listens to the podcast. If you do, will you send Ty your shoulder and bicep workout? So also we join can, Iron Tribe. And join Iron Tribe. It's a productive place. Please. But here, here, like he did sort of go on and note like Dylan's our heart. And he even talked about Dylan maybe getting in some bad tendencies previously. And some of the stuff that at the beginning of the season with Dylan, we had talked about how it seemed like he was off because he was kind of trying to figure out his role. I thought that's what he was doing in the preseason a little bit too. It is just the preseason, hard to read into it. But I do think – I'm not not conspiracy Brantley here, but there there could be some like real role discussions happening – coach player wise and like here's how now that we're all healthy let's get into our right spots now Dylan we did ask you to carry a different burden now we need to really see like I felt like even last night for instance they were like Bane you've got your three back now tonight is all about driving to the cup every like he just was hitting his curls every every screen he was not even looking to pull up once to me because I had a parlay where I needed him to hit four threes and it didn't happen so there uh, there's the degenerate point all I'm saying is there is I do feel like we're kind of in the middle of a of a team shift finding their roles working on specific things and I have wondered even that with Dylan where it's like let's get you back into what we're really needing you to be you know the rest of the season assuming health one thing that I love about Dylan is that he gets up for the biggest matchups. And if you look at the last six, seven games on our schedule, really the last time he had a big challenge was in that Pelicans game 
against Zion. Granted, the next day he did have to guard De'Aaron Fox, which we noted on one of our episodes. Since then, we played the Hornets, the Magic, the Jazz, the Spurs twice, the Pacers without Halliburton, the Suns without any of their guys. So like you look at all those matchups, there isn't that one guy that Dylan's like, I'm going to get up for this matchup. And so in a weird way, I think psychologically, that also has maybe played a part in this kind of Dylan's mini slump. Two other things I'd like to mention. Very really, good point. Really one, the when the Grizzlies score 116 points this season, they are 24-1. and one. just want to mention that. What's special about 116? It is the average offensive rating this season for the entire NBA. So really, what I'm seeing is we are winning through defense, and if we can just get to average night-to-night offensively, I mean, we're going to win 98% of the time. And so I think that's that's one interesting thing that I wanted to kind of look at because I felt as if we've had a few performances where we've just underperformed offensively recently, and, and I was just interested to see kind of what that cutoff was, and it just so happened to coincide with the with the league average. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, the other, and to your point about winning with defense too, I mean, that's it was a stat being thrown around on the broadcast, both on TNT and Bally yesterday, a bunch, which was that the Grizzlies are the only NBA team, uh, once they're up by double digits, 10 points, they have not lost a game. Uh, so that's the only team in the league to do that, and that – and I think that because, you know, I mean, if you watch NBA games, you know that a two-point lead can be gone like that. But I think that says something about – I mean, I think that's like you're the number one defensive team. And and I think, you know, and right now that number one defense is crazy. I mean, I think it's like um, like second through like 14 is the same distance that first through second um, distance. And so, you know, I just think that says like if we get up on you, you're going to have a really hard time coming back, um, which is rare in the NBA, honestly. And when I'm looking ahead into the playoffs and projecting, role players, they say, play better offensively at home. But I think defensively, as I say, defense travels. I actually think that is the case in the playoffs, and we're going to get a really good test of it. So um, the fact that we're the number one defense halfway through the season uh, is just incredible. And uh, I feel like I, we have to tee this to, to craft – if because if, last quarter we we weren't the number one defense, so why is it why is that happening, Kraft? Uh, that's happening because uh, because one, I mean, the minor point will be that I think our system of the way that uh, Jenkins coaches, I think we're always going to get off every year to some slow defensive starts because our defense requires like a level of effort that people um, you know don't want to necessarily put forth early in a long season. Um, but obviously the second, the major point is that Jaron Jackson Jr. is not only so far the defensive player of the year, but having, um, you know, in a very short sample, you know, short sample size, quarter of a season, basically a little over a quarter, having probably a, one of the more historic defensive seasons of all time. And that, that'll do it for you. Okay, anything at a high level before we get into our trade value rankings? Anything at all? Uh, just one little comment that, um, and I might come back to it later if we get a chance to slam some national media narratives. But, uh, but I, I do think that uh, if you're out there and you're arguing with your friends, like from other parts of the country that are down on the Grizzlies and are just throwing out stats, I'm just going to give a heads up to all of us. And I think you need to start finding the sites and start thinking of per 36 minute stats. 
because one of the issues with the Grizzlies is that we're mashing teams, and uh, and now that we have Bain back, we might actually begin to have an offense that is above average. And if that above average offense happens, like last night, and we shoot 40% from three, we will destroy teams. And so we're going to have a lot of games where our guys don't hit 30 minutes. And so when they're comparing stats of the Grizzlies with the Jokic's and the SGA's and the Luka's, look and see the fact that they are playing 35 to 40 minutes a night. And our highest player, uh, highest minute player's jaw, and he is 76th in the NBA at 32 minutes a game. And so, you know, and the per 36 stat happened because that was the kind of average of stars and starter minutes in the NBA, but we have a different system. And so that's just like a throw out there if you're having in the bar or with your friends and they're, you know, dissing the, the Grizzlies for stats, like start learning this per 36 um, because, you know, uh, if if Jaron Jackson Jr. is is averaging over four blocks a game, and he's only doing it in about twenty six minutes a game, what do you think would happen if he actually played more? You know, for instance. And so these are the kind of things. Uh, anyway, but that's just you know just a little point for all those Grizzlies fans out there arguing with relatives and friends of other teams, especially as we get into the point of the season where you're going to hear a lot of All Star conversations and comparisons, and then a few weeks from now when we truly get past all-star and we can start thinking about all NBA conversations, which are way more important. Um, so, okay, let's get into our trade value rankings, but we're going to pause for a message from our sponsor. The NFL playoff picture is locked in and my go-to place for wild card round action is DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. To kick off the road to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can get a no-sweat bet each day of the wild card round this weekend. Just place any NFL bet of your choice, and if it loses, you'll get a free bet back up to $10. Action so good, why bet NFL playoffs anywhere else? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code TBPN. New customers can bet $5 on the NFL and get 200 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. All right, let's get into it. We have all created tiers, I believe. If, if, if that isn't the case with, with one of us, you know, that's fine. But I think we've all created... Oh, Ty, okay, cool. Ty might have a straight-up ranking here, which is great, which is great. Uh, we, we, that's why we bring in, you know, all different perspectives. Uh, okay, so here's how we're going to frame this. The trade season's coming up soon, and I, I teed it off at the beginning of the pod because I think having our own rankings, having our own values on our players is the first step because then you can start building out deals and deciding what's worth it, what's not, and why. And so we're here to really answer the why question and to all give our different opinions on what these players' values are and to, to maybe argue about it just a little bit because as soon as, we, as soon as we find the consensus, I feel like we can then start to talk about true deals, which hopefully in the coming weeks we'll have more podcasts that are about more specific trade um, proposals. So... Let's start off 
we'll maybe go around a little bit and, and give some rationales and we'll, we'll try to stay within a tier of each other as we, as we move, move through this exercise. So uh, let's start with, with tier one, Ty, what'd you, what'd you have in your, your, <laughs> in my tier one of not having tears. Yeah. You, you got it. Yeah. Uh, so I, I just did like a one through 13. Um, but obviously my number one is jaw. Um, I mean, that's, of course. Uh, is it? Oh, okay. Craft. <laughs> I mean, we're, can you mute his mic when he talks? I'm just kidding. But I think the more like, the more like astute conversation with jaw is not Grizzlies roster wise, but like NBA wise. So, uh, Golden State, um, what was the Golden State podcast guy? I can't remember his name. That's it. He asked if we would trade anyone in the league for Ja. And when emotions got involved, I think we both said no. Um, A detached, you know, non-Memphis person, Luka may come up, Giannis may come up. To me, that is... Couldn't agree more. Um, I think he is one of the most untouchable players in in all of sports um, for what he means and what he's shown. We talked about it earlier about what he's just success-wise already at 23 years old. It's kind of wild. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of go down to my next two. So I would say Ja is just like elite of elite of elite. My next two, I believe, currently – right now are untouchable. I would not trade either of these players for borderline anyone. Um, Looking at team trajectory moving forward, I just think they have a lot of value to us. Um, I have number two is Trip. I have Jaron as the second most valuable trade asset we have. And then third, I have Bain. Um, Trip, if Root, let's just... This is the point I've been like just drilling, thinking about so often the last couple of days. If Rudy Gobert was averaging like 17 points, shooting 40% from three, what do you think the NBA world would have done three or four years ago? Like they would have thrown out like this guy's a top 10 player of all, of all time. Like, oh my gosh, the things that he's doing. Jaron is better than he's ever been, including Jaron's the best Jaron has ever been. Jaron is also better than any Rudy Gobert defensive metric, any stat you want to throw out season Rudy had ever has. Like, Jaron is leaps and bounds, just flat out better than any elite best Rudy season while shooting close to 40% from three while averaging basically like 18 points per 36 minutes and doing everything that he's doing. I think... My hot take when we first started this podcast, if y'all remember, is I said that I think Jaron will eventually be our most valuable player. That was Ja included. I've clearly flipped on that because I think Ja is just out of this world. But that, I don't want that to diminish what I think the value that Jaron has. Um, I almost think that in our front office's mindsets, like Jaron is like, if they call and ask, they just laugh and hang up. Um, Bain is is probably close to that. Um, I think Bain's contract is like incredibly valuable. Speaking of contracts, Jaron is as well. The descending contract is nuts. Um, so yeah, I think I think Bain is probably a little bit more uh, or a little bit less trade 
asset wise than Tripp. But those are my top three. Wouldn't trade any three of them moving forward. Craft, what were your first two tiers? Yeah, so my uh, so that was my my tier one was, and I called it just hanging up the phone, like not even, and that's Jaw, obviously, and that's Jaron, um, and I would say that uh, just you know piggybacking off what Ty said. I mean, to me, uh, I actually think it's it it's shockingly you know probably not shocking to y'all, but it's shockingly close to me the top two uh, only, uh, and and the the reason obviously Jaw, it's the intangible stuff. Um, all the, all just like having a superstar, all the things that jaw entails that we go on all about all the time, um, that obviously make him one that, that, that is the, an elite score and playmaker is the most unique thing you can have. Um, and it's the kind of thing that you can win titles if you have that. And so that's why he's always going to be above Jaron, despite, you know, unless Jaron just becomes close, comes elite offensively, which I'm not expecting, but uh, but then Jaron, I just think, is a close second because uh, there are two sides to the floor, offense and defense. If you have the best player in the NBA on the defensive side uh, and, and who also fits the modern NBA with the pace and space, I just think that person is so valuable. And by the way, and I think Will has it, What what is Jaron going to be making the last year of his contract in three years? Twenty three point four million. Twenty three point four million for that. Um, unbelievable. I do expect one of these summers. Um, you know, I, we referred to the the Bain podcast earlier. We talked about the things he was working on over the summer. One of these summers, Jaren's actually going to get a summer to do what Bain did last summer um, t- uh, offensively, and watch out when that happens. Already, I think he's starting to get it. He's making a little few more. He's actually getting an assist or two every now and then. He's starting to rebound a little better. Um, he's just getting, he just is feeling it better. He's still only 23, uh, you know, which is unbelievable. So those are the two. And then my tier two is, and this may, maybe this set untouchable, but we'll listen. In other words, we're not trading the guy, but it's not so offensive that we're just hanging up the phone. We will actually like sort of listen. Maybe we're just trying to listen to the, G, the other GM to see what they're trying to give up and trying to get some feels. Um, it's not a total insult. Uh, but I still think he's untouchable because after a score, you know, after an elite playmaker score um, that must be double teamed or dealt with, and then after the best defensive player on the floor, uh, somebody with the elite skill of shooting and what could be potentially, uh, whenever Steph Curry retires, could be the number one shooter in the league. I mean, I think that uh, in a few years, uh, you don't. You don't let that guy go. He's also still making $2 million, not just this year, but next year. Um, and he will have a big contract coming. But I just think those three, are, uh, I agree with Ty, those three are just untouchable, especially going forward, them being homegrown, them all, two of them being 23, one of them being 24. It's just, you know, we should have these guys for the next 10 years, hopefully. Yeah, I had similar, but tier one, untouchable is Jaw, tier two. I named it, I need a tier one return, meaning everybody that I would call and ask for, for Jaron and Bain, they would hang up because it's in their tier one. And so I gave like Giannis, Tatum, Jokic, Embiid, Curry, and Doncic as examples. Because like those guys aren't getting dealt, but that's who I would ask for if they wanted Jaron and and Bain in return. Um, I wouldn't totally hang up on on either of them necessarily, but yeah, it's going to be really difficult to pry any of those three players out of, or I mean, not job, but like any of the other two out of our hands. And I'm about to cause some controversy here. 
That's what I like to do. Uh, <laughs> Jaws number one. Um, I feel like we should just like start a podcast about Jaw, so that in this pod we can sort of talk about Jaw, but not really have to. And then we have a whole pod dedicated to Jaw. That's a great idea, by the way. Um, my second. So that was called Never. That Jaw. Oh, man, you're really good with puns. So that tier was called Never for me. My second tier, and this just came to me, and, and this is more about the tier name than it is about the ranking, but it is sort of about the ranking. Uh, it's called Known Entities Playoffs, and also um, I'm considering the regular season. And I have two players in this list. I have Bain, and I have Tyus. I am a Tyus promoter, and this is also about I want to see what Trip is doing now in the playoffs for me to like feel really good about him up in this spot. And I know this is, this is what's causing the drama from a rankings perspective. Everyone is staring at me with devil eyes. Like how could you put (laughs) Tyus Jones, a role player backup point guard in this spot? But I really think for Ja, this role is really critical for us. I think it's going to continue to be critical. I think they're testing out to see if Chandler could become that type of person. But I, I just really think Tyus has a lot of value in the regular season that helps us get seating. I think he had big moments in the playoffs last year. And though his minutes will not be high in quantity, they will be very high in expectation. And I consider that to still be uh, a great need. And I want Jay, I want trip to prove that he is a known entity in the playoff. So there I did it. I'm sorry, Kraft. <laughs> no, it, I, you know, that's your opinion. <laughs> so is there any rebuttal? Well, okay. How did you just do that? My rebuttal would be that when you're talking through trade value, it's not a, it's not a single season exercise. And so I think for me, I'm looking ahead. I'm I'm seeing that Tyus has this year and next. He in the in in terms of the playoffs. I think when you have a guy who knows his role, to, and I I am definitely hoping it's a bigger role in the playoffs, but generally when you're starting, when your best player is the point guard and his minutes are only going to go up in the playoffs, it means that Tyus's minutes are going to go down and we look at Tyus' jaw together. It hasn't been great so far. And so I'm thinking like through the playoffs, yes, Jaron hasn't proven it to me all the way yet. Like he hasn't had a full playoffs that I felt great about. But I think when you factor in his contract, you factor in his defensive player of the year potential this season and how his, as much as people want to harp on fouls as like a reason for concern with Jaron, like if you look at his season so far this year, it's true that the foul rate has gone down and that the reason he's been taken out of games at times has been more about a minute's restriction than it has been the fouls. And so that's one thing that needs to be cleared up. And so that's, I think it's, it's more about maybe how we thought about the exercise differently, because I agree Tyus's value on the market is not as high as it is to us in this room. Um, and so I get, that you're putting him up there for the purpose of this, but I just thought about it differently personally. But that's a valid point on the, like as great as Jaron has been, there's still like a, I don't know, like an unknown to him, but it's definitely like, man, this has to be all the time. Like what you're providing has to be in big games 
Like we talked about when we went through that really rough stretch, Jaw was doing everything in his power, and we talked about like Conchar not hitting shots. But then we were like, Jaron and Bain were terrible, and that really matters. Um, so I, I mean, I, I think the main point of what I took away from that is like Jaron still got a lot to prove. Um, and if 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 to us to truly view him as like an untouchable player asset forever then he does probably need to show more than what he's shown. But I don't. I think he'll do it. Again, to Crass' point, he's 23 years old, which is crazy young. Um, and I think because we have Ja, who has proven it, honestly, to an extent, like Bain has kind of proven it too. Um, he was hurt in the Golden State Series, but the Minnesota Series, they didn't know what to do with him. Um, he was doing whatever he wanted. Um, and I think we expected big things from Trip because we're like, oh, we can go small. We'll just play Jaron at the five. And I think we were like, oh, maybe we can't do that and be really successful yet. Um, so I think to like really like unlock Jaron and for him to be the absolute best, he's clearly not there. Um, but I think I'm willing to bet, y'all may disagree, I'm willing to bet that he'll get there. I really think he will. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's for me, it's like that That I just think, um, I mean, I think he's going to, you know, obviously I have high, hopes on Jaron but I mean I just think in three years he's going to be like if not elite offensively he is going to be an offensive force that really matters I think uh you know I think in the next three years he is going to figure out the foul situation I also think as soon as he uh you know wins the defensive player of the year this year which it's looking more like again that the if healthy always but if he plays enough games he's going to win that I think that also will really heal his relationship with the refs um, because if you see what like Draymond gets away with um, that, that kind of matters too. So that's like thing. I mean, I will say, you know, obviously I've extremely disagree with, with Jaron not being above Tyus, but Tyus is in my next tier. And so I don't, uh, so like I do understand, like, so basically everything you said about Tyus, I agree with. I just think Jaron's better. That's a good segue though. So what is the next tier? Yeah. So my next tier is what I I'm calling it the heartbeat tier, and that's sort of off of what Bain said about Dylan, and uh, and I actually have and it, and sort of weird because I have I have three players and then a what we would call an asset in tier three, and that's basically and so I say heartbeat because I think all three of these guys are the heart are a heartbeat of the team and would really change the dynamic if we were to trade them and so what I kind of put like subtitled we to give these up I want an all-star or an elite role player back like elite elite so like I I throw like an OG and an OB who's like an elite role player fringe all-star type player and so that's Dylan um, and then which surprised me but I mean I just and maybe I'm being uh, (laughs) you know maybe I've just been fed too much propaganda from Stephen Adams stats on Twitter but Stephen Adams and then I have Tyus I actually you know within my tier I actually have the Golden State Warriors pick above Tyus Uh, but those are the four I know this is the nerdiest thing ever but uh, those are the four things that I put in the next tier which would basically mean if we were to get rid of any of these four things I want an all-star I want you know or the elite of the elite role players like if they have a career year they would potentially make an all-star team Um, and and that's kind of the way I see it you know obviously I've always been a big Dylan Brooks fan I think 
it's a heartbeat culture thing for us. Like I think, um, weirdly he is more important, I think to our team, uh, than, uh, like to our actual team and our front office than everybody thinks. But I actually think the rest of the front offices and NBA teams view him higher than I think our own fan base. But uh, Dylan's there. Uh, Steven Adams, I just think we've gotten to where the comfort zone with Jaw, and I'm just all for protecting Jaw and what Jaw loves. And Jaw and Bain both play much better on the court uh, with all the, all the analytics back that up when Steven Adams is out there. I love the physicality, um, Jenkins' favorite word, physicality, that both Dylan and Steven play with. And I think it's a, it's – you know, it translates to the rest of the team. And then I, I don't need to say any more about Tyus. I think everything that Brantley said, and one other thing just to add with Tyus actually is, you know, uh, one of the things, the great things I do think about Tyus is that, and we showed it a little bit in the, even the playoff series. I mean, there is potential with the way job plays. I mean, obviously we cannot lose him for like the playoffs and win a title, but we could potentially have something where, Hey, you know what? it would be great if we could just rest jaw for one game of a playoff series or two games. And I actually think we could with Tyus starting win, you know, and the rest of our team win a playoff game or at least be competitive with Tyus in there. And I think that is hugely important. And then, you know, I mean, I don't know if we want to get into the golden state warriors pick, yeah, uh, but I think that's hugely important. Uh, you know, and maybe this, I can just get my slander in now. Uh, the golden state warriors are a total mid meh team this year. I don't care what anybody says. Uh, they are 500 uh, they uh, are really basically feasting on having an unbelievable home court advantage, which they have, and they have a really good record. They, you know, they had to like, pull, like Steph Curry had to have an, again an amazing game, and they had to come back to beat the stupid Wizards yesterday. They got beat uh, beginning to end by the the Chicago Bulls. Uh, were up by ten points the whole game, completely controlled it against the Warriors. Um, the Warriors are just kind of a met team, uh, you know. Again, we're going to play them in a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen. They seem to have a weird thing with us right now, so who knows. But uh, but I really do think, you know, they are next year. They're probably going to lose Day- Draymond. Uh, they're all a year older. Uh, and, again, if Steph Curry gets some kind of injury, I mean, they could be – they, we could be looking at a top five, top six pick. It's obviously top four protected next year. Um, so we, but we could be looking at a top 10 pick if it, if they're so bad that it goes the next year, it's unprotected. Uh, so I just think if we're going to give that pick away, we need to get somebody amazing. So that somebody major who's awesome back. Anyway. Uh, I have just a few tiers that I want to lay out because there's, there's pretty segmented. So the tier three this might be my biggest hot take of, of the whole thing. And it's called too soon to trade dot, 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 right. And it's Zaire Williams. And so I think to me, this is more of a play on. He is all potential right now. He has grown into a guy who's almost at Jaron's height. He's a wing, which is the, you know, the most scarce resource in the league right now. He can shoot. We know He's still got a lot of things to work out, and I've been one of the. I was I surprised myself by having him this high because I've been one of the, um, I would say most critical of him out of anybody on our team so far, and I know he's also coming off of an injury, and um, but I just think that with us having team control for as long as we do, with him him being as young as he is and him playing the position that he does. I think that it would have to take a lot to prize Zaire, in particular, out of all the young guys 
away from us, and that's why I had him so high. Because I think that when deals happen in the NBA, usually if it's an all-star guy, they want a bunch of picks, and they want one young player at least. And I think Zaire is that kind of shiny object for us. So that's why I have him sort of in a tier by himself. The next tier is only one player, and I call it, I call it uh, this is tier four, but I, I call it tier three expiring, and it's Dylan Brooks. Because he is expiring this year. We can't, we can't avoid the contract discussion when you're trading for Dylan. The assumption is if you do trade for him, you're going to have to sign him to an extension. And, and usually if, a guy, if you go out and get a guy like that, you've probably had some conversations with agents, and they know a number, they know what they want, and it's going to be high. And so I think that's why I have, but Dylan is one step below because I think it would be a little bit harder to trade not having so much team control. And then tier five is what I call the upset the apple cart, where if we traded any of these guys, I think it would kind of throw things off for us. And so we'd really have to strongly consider it. And that's Steven Adams, Tyus Jones, and I have Brandon Clark in this tier as well. And I also threw in the 2024 Warriors first right here, because I just in terms of how we prioritize it in the list of those guys. So that's kind of my my next few groups uh, that I laid out there. What do you think, Ty? We were very similar. Um, so, again, I just did 1 through 13. Uh, didn't really do tiers. When I started looking at it, I was like, Jaws tier of his own. Trip and Bane make sense as a tier. The next three I had, I really didn't know where to put, but I had Z, uh, Dylan, and Tyus as 4, 5, and 6, pretty much interchangeably. And I tried to look at it as, like, if another team was calling, who would they want rather than, like, who would we be willing to give up? And I think each of these three players bring value differently than the other. Um, To your point with Zaire, I think he is a shiny object that a lot of teams would be like, if I get my hands on him, he's 21 years old, very high pedigree, top 10 pick all this kind of stuff, has shown flashes, not really like really produced at a high level, but has shown enough to be like, if he figures it out in three or four years, he's going to be really something. And I think we know that too. And I could see us being a little hesitant to like, that's why I saw a, a we all saw this, the trade example where it was like, we get OG, but we send out Dylan, Zaire, and two future first. To me, that's like, no, we would never do all of that for OG arguably are we even any better at that point um anyway so I had him flirting around there Dylan I had essentially him and Tyus basically like almost in the exact same position because I'm like would they both help almost every team they play for yes like you can't especially depending on what role they're in. Tyus is a lead in this because he like really plays his role really well. There's not a team in the NBA that wouldn't like love to have Tyus on their team. Like they would be like, please give me that guy. Um, including us, right? So we would be very hesitant to let that go too. He does have one more year on his contract, $15 million next year. Uh, it's not nothing, but it's not like a ton either, especially with the cap potentially going up. Um I don't know if that'll happen this summer or next. But anyway, Dylan, similar kind of thing. Like if a team is like really, really close and they feel like they could really like make a title run, to have Dylan in your top seven or top eight in your roster, basically either the downside is he is expiring, so he probably will need more on the open market than what a team like that would would want back. But like if you're telling me Cleveland wouldn't call and be like, we really need Dylan Brooks as our starting three, I bet Cleveland would give up a decent bit. 
for Dylan um, to fit in that role. Um, but again, he's very valuable to us too, obviously. Um, I tried to think of as like who of those three players who would like an NBA team value the most, and I think it's a specific team. I don't think there's one answer, blanket answer for all all teams in the NBA. I think it depends on what you're looking for. Um, but as far as asset, who do I think? I think those three guys loop together really well. Um, not going to lie, I flirted with with uh, Santi joining this group um, just by the fact that he's still also only 21 years old and has shown a huge leap from year one to year two. That trajectory is probably not going to continue to be linear. Um, but I think a lot of people around the league are like, oh, man, I'd love a 6'11 guy shooting mid-30% who can defend a little, pass a little. Um, so those are my three kind of next like grouping of guys. Uh, if you remember my hot take earlier, I still have some guys on the board. My next tier was prove it to me in the playoffs. Leading this group was Tripp. Um, I already talked about him previously. Uh, after that is Dylan, meaning like <clears throat> based on I want him, I want to see him in his role in the playoffs, and I think I I won't apologize to him again. But we'll feel great about him being in this tier if uh, he performs to his role in this spot for me. And I think, again, I think this is all about Dylan being in the role for which we need him to be. Um, and he's, I think, shown that a decent amount this season. And we've even given him some nights where he's been able to jump out of his role and have some fun maybe. But in the playoffs, we need him to steadily be his role like the entire time. And I have one more player in this tier, and it's Santi, because I do think we're going to need him to prove it to us in the playoffs. And I I could see him being a long, like a long term piece of the of this team to us, meaning like his value off the bench means more to us, where he can still. I mean, I think he's he makes people second guess at the rim, not obviously like Jaron does, but similarly. Uh, off the bench and his ability to stretch the floor and hit the three and be dangerous for that unit, I think has really helped us. And I just, I think there's just a feel to some things where some stuff just clicks. And if he can like show up in some big games and, and when the lights get really bright, um, I, I don't know. I just think that we might have something there and he's, he's in, uh, ahead of other people intentionally for me from a long-term perspective. And I'm going to do my next, my next tier just to kind of round this back around to everybody else. My, this next tier is called, I love you. Um, leading this tier out is Steven Adams. I, I just never thought that I would be confessing my love to, to Steven Adams. Uh, but I love his musk and just, I think our point guards love him too. I love his passes I love the way he rebounds. I don't love his free throws, and I'm really worried about it, which is ultimately why he's here. And look, y'all are gonna think Hacking I'm Adams. Yeah, I'm, just, Adams. I'm just, I mean, get ready for that. I know, <laughs> and, and it's it it's gonna happen, and we really need him anyway. It's a move of ne- desperation, just for all those coaches out there. And look, this is a podcast, so I put another person in this tier that really doesn't belong around all these other people, and it's Junior. Kenny Lofton Jr. <laughs> Let's go. Because look, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is if we were if someone calls and says we'll give you, you know, crap 
and you got to throw in Junior, and then you see him in two years, like Z-Bowing from the block on other people, and like you play him, and he puts up twenty and ten. Like, how disheartening would that be? Like the long term potential of him, like potentially being this like just heat check weird power forward off the bench and maybe like not wearing 50 because it's retired, but like, but like, you know, like Zebo, like giving him like a stamp of approval for his gameplay, like the franchise has to have it. So he's where he's at. A few responses to that. Number one. Hey, is it, Babe, aren't, shouldn't we wait to see if Lofton can prove it to us in the playoffs though? <laughs> so, uh, Okay. A couple responses. I haven't heard Brandon Clark's name, and somehow, okay, that's just wanted to clarify that. I knew that was coming. Uh, Number two, I think when we went way back and we talked about the rookies, and I'm I'm kind of with you on Lofton because if you you someone made me choose one rookie if I could only have one out of the bunch, and I said Kenny Lofton because I'm I know he is going to be on this team and he's going to wreck folks in like two or three years. So just look out and I'm on that corner with you and I'm planning. We are investing right now into the stock. Uh, Would I have him on this list? Not yet. (laughs) With all that said. (laughs) I I just keep being you, Brantley. I love it. Uh, real quick, just since the, both the names have already been mentioned for me. Uh, so that's my tier four is what I call it. Junior. My, is I call it my, no, it's while. not. No, we're, we're going to be a while on junior. Let's just put it that way. He's there's, he's hanging out on his corner for a while before I join it. Let's put it that way that I have my tier four, which I call 20 year old Jaron, um, which is so young, so much potential. And, uh, and they look like 20 year old Jaron, but I'm, I'm looking forward and hoping, man, if they can look like Jaron when he's 23, um, look out. And that is Zaire and Santi. And I have I have uh, Zaire, uh, you know, within the tier, Zaire slightly ahead of Santi because of what Will was talking about with the, the, the position he plays being so in demand. But I, I really am high on both of them. And that, you know, the difference is, uh, you know, is that, um, you know, I'm looking for them not just to prove in the playoffs, but actually prove it over a regular season as well to me. So that's why I have them below. And, 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 and again, to fit with my, the way I see things, the reason I have them below the Dylan, Steven, Tyus group that some of y'all have Zaire and Santi above that is because I culture matters to me more than potential. So, so those kind of, I actually love your upset, the apple cart like that. I feel like Zaire and Santi, we could trade them. It would not upset the apple cart. It would not mess with our culture at all. Um, but I do think that Zaire and Santi very well could be much better than Dylan, Steven and Tyus when it's all said and done. But culturally right now they're, they're not as important, but they're on my tier four, so young, so potential. It would be, I would, it would be hard to lose both of those guys because they're both twenty, and they're already doing things. You know, they're already outproducing a lot of players older than them. So, uh, my tier six is called Contract Heaven, and that's contract with a K. Uh, <laughs> I have Santi Aldama is the first in this tier, just because the position he plays. But then I have John Conchar after that. And then the future Grizzlies first round picks is also what I have because those are going to be really low, mm-hmm. and then and so 
those contracts, like for instance, Bain, who we drafted uh, number thirty, he has like the best contract in the league uh, due to how many years of team control, and it's like at two million or something. So it's going to be like around three for probably our our picks late in the first round. So I have that as well. But like Aldama and Conchar in this tier, honestly, you could switch them if you really wanted to, depending on the night. But I do know that Aldama plays a better, more important position, um, and has shown uh, a few more flashes of upside. So. That's my next year. So, so you you have not said Clark either, by the way. Oh have no, you, they, he was in my upset. That's the upside. Apple okay, I want to yeah. make sure. Yeah. Adams, Clark, That's and right. Tyus. That's right. Okay. So I'm just, again, I had to make tiers. So I'm just going to do my next group of three. Wait, did you make tiers? I did not. Uh, so seven, eight, nine. I have Santi, BC, and Stevo. Uh, Santi playing with like the upside. BC. I mean, I think he does. Obviously, he has like a lot of value. Um, Maybe I'm I'm alone on this block, but I feel like his his role could be replaced, not incredibly difficultly. Um, and then Steve-O, just because I think if I'm looking at like other teams, I don't know if he could play the way he plays with us for other teams. Obviously, that's not the case. If you look at the Pels, they used him terribly. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. So, again, I kind of like – I framed my list of like – other teams, what could we get for this player? Like, if we were to throw in this guy in a deal, how, like, much would that sweeten the deal kind of thing, right? Like, an OG deal. If we're throwing in Steven Adams, Toronto's probably like, I mean, nah, I think I'm good. But if we throw in Zaire, maybe they're like, oh, okay, that kind of piques my interest a little bit more. So that's kind of the way I framed it, which is kind of cool because we all thought about it differently, which is good because we're all bringing up different points. Um so, yeah, that's that's kind of where I am. I do like the Santi thing. I think I texted this to y'all maybe a week or two ago. Like the whole Santi versus Zaire trade value thing. Like to me, that's an interesting discussion. We don't have to really get into it. But if I like, I'll say this now. I want y'all to use the answer. Gun to your head. You can only keep one moving forward. Who are you keeping? Zaire. Okay. Zaire for me too, but it's closer than I want to admit. I think right now I'd go Asante. I think it's a discussion. I really do. Um, I think if you would have asked this question last year, people would laugh at you. But I think it's a legit – like, I don't know. If you'd personally. asked me in October, I would have laughed at you. Yeah. Like, I I think it's a really tricky thing. Um, so, I'll, we're probably going to get to this too. I'll, so, I'll just wait. My last tier, which was like, I'm not going to be a, basically upset in this order of how these guys get traded, no emotion whatsoever, other than just like, I will remember you, is Zaire, BC, Jitty, Laravia, and Larati on the same line. I just, if we can upgrade to win and have a better probability to win a championship and those four are included, I honestly just won't feel much. <laughs> Heartless, heartless. That's what I, I love. You, you're you there, you're the kind of person who has to run a front office. Honestly, I I mean no I agree with that a little bit though for sure. Yeah, like all those guys to me feel replaceable, Agreed. especially within their role on our team. Um, especially like B, if you look at BC's contract in like a year or two, it is going to be like the prime, like almost like the Melton of last year. Like include that fifteen million in, and that gets you to where like right where you want to be. Um, I'm not saying we're going to trade him, but I guarantee you his name will turn up like Melton's did. 
he will be included in a lot of stuff for sure. And I sort of think like if, if for those of us that invest in culture, which I, you know, lean heavily into, I think some of these guys are outperforming their talents based on our culture and our system. So like, to me, I think you eventually hit a ceiling with some of these roles and what you can get from them in a playoff series. And that's where I'm like, if I can upgrade talent with these types, then I would totally do it. For sure. And I think I remember rookie year, Brandon, everyone's like, Jaron Brandon front court is just devastating. Now we've we've talked about this before in the past too, but now we've kind of been like, but is Jaron like a five like all the time? I don't think he is. I don't think – maybe I'm wrong. I don't think he'll ever be a full-time five. If he's not a full-time five, that really changes BC's outlook to me long-term. Um, and maybe y'all disagree. Maybe y'all think Jaron is eventually a five, and that's just his position in three or four years. Maybe I'm just too – myopic and i can't see that far but right now like i've seen jaron at the five enough to be like yeah that ain't it man like he's a four he's much better at the four um and he plays really well with steven adams which is he played well with Jonas too he plays well also with a big bruiser just as well as he does a, a high flying six seven brandon clark right um so i think if you're looking of like what is Jaron and then going down from that, like figure out that first and then filling in the gaps after that. Um, I think the whole like Jaron BC, they got to play together. They're great together. I think that it hadn't run it, run its course, but holes have been poked. I'll say that in my opinion. Well, you're kind of already saying that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I'll, I'll go with a couple more tiers since they've all been meant. Well, all but one's been mentioned and this is, I'm totally stealing, uh, Will on the la- on the quarterly podcast uh, last one we we brought up Conchar and and then now uh, uh, Brantley's brought up system and culture and so uh, and so I'm calling these next two tiers uh, Bill Belichick tiers and so the first tier is you know is tier five uh, which is just Brandon Clark um, so right under Zaire and Santi and and that's I call it the Belichick slot receiver. Uh, because I feel like Brandon is somebody who it's like, you know, the Patriots, Belichick always has that slot receiver, um, you know, that nobody else appreciates, but is great for our system. And I feel like that's Brandon Clark, that he kind of fits our system. And I think, and I do, and I agree with you, uh, Ty, I do think he's somebody who's going to get melted at some point that will probably be in a, like that as soon as we feel like we can get peak value for him, we will probably trade him. Um, but, at the same time, I do think we're always going to have somebody like this, and it's going to be a very personalized, maybe like a hyper-athletic, elite at certain weird things. Like for Brandon, it's it's field goal percentage and floaters, but sort of like we're going to have this slot receiver who can play the four with Jaron the few minutes he plays at five or something. that like, And it's just kind of like he's a system. He fits us. He's way more important to us, but it's tier five. So that's why I have him below Zaire and Santi and and, and and also I have him I have him below Zaire and Santi because they both their upsides are way above Brandon's and I also think Brandon's somebody who it would be really sad for our team because of friendships but I think he would not affect the culture in the same way and then below that I have the Bill Belichick system division with just that they're they're 
They're just like hard workers, system people. They don't ask for a lot of money. You can pay them cheaply. They're happy to be the 14th man. They're happy to be a starter. And that's Conchar and Tillman. Um, and I just think it's it's very uh, – and one of the reasons I have Tillman above a lot of other people that you all probably don't have uh, is because I just think it's really important to have a guy who you can pay only like $1 or $2 million a year who will just be happy going – being assigned to the G League as a third-year player, be happy going to Summer League probably for the fourth year, um, and, and also can start a game for you and put up – you know, and, and work well in the system. And I just think Conchar being a little above Tillman, but both of them fill that. So that's my tier six. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, I, I get that for sure. Yeah, I get that for sure with with BC, and I think that's a great way to put it. Is that he is to me like we've unlocked him in a way that I don't know if a lot of other teams like if he were to be drafted in a different system. Like, I think that's a good debate. And at the end of the day, to me, the reason why I have him in like a tier five, which is very much like middle of the road, is because like my, I love Brandon for what he does probably more than the consensus but at the same time when you're talking about trade discussions like yeah if he's a a perfect contract which this trade season we have to mention he has what's called a poison pill so his extension hasn't kicked in so it gets really weird when you're trying to trade those players and so it'd be really unlikely that that would happen for him and also he just signed the extension so there's weird rules around that as well but like next year yes like he's in that perfect zone of contract where he can be traded and if it is a a true upgrade, then yeah, like absolutely. Like I'm down to do it at any point in time. Um, And and like, and like a slot receiver, like, like a Bill Belichick slot receiver, he can make that catch on third down that you need to win a playoff game. Just like Clark showed at the, with the T wolves last year that he came, we needed him to beat the T wolves and that's the kind of player he is. Right. And then he doesn't necessarily, it's not going to fit in every single matchup. So yeah. And then I have just my last two. I'll just close it out here. Tier seven, I just call young and hungry. And I have that as Roddy, LaRavia, Kennedy Chandler. And then the last one is what I call fodder with upside. So it's like they're going to be thrown at every trade. It's Danny Green, it's Xavier Tillman. But at the same time, you can make an argument from both of those guys that Green, if he comes back from the injury, plays well. Like he's probably got another year or two under his belt and he has that great experience. Tillman, same thing. You get him in the right system. Like we just saw the last two weeks. You know, Brandon Clark is injured. He slots in, even started a game and played really well. So he's just super solid. But those are the two guys you're going to see in almost every trade proposal. That's, you know, fake trades. So that's kind of where I closed out. And I, I didn't deal with the two-way guys, but yeah, I'd have Lofton, uh, you know, up there too. So I can finish mine out if y'all are kind of, do y'all have any other, do you want me to finish mine out too or you want to go first? I, I mean, I have a couple more, yeah. but they're like, it's not. It. So the, a question I wanted to pose is I thought, Again, like writers, we are shown time and time again how little they know. Um, national people clearly aren't plugged in. Everyone caught us to trade all of our picks last year. We added one. Um, so, you know, grain of salt here. But I keep seeing like all of these, um, you know, potential trades that the Grizzlies are involved in. A lot of them are like future, you know, first round picks, first round picks, first round picks. And I, again, I pose this question to y'all too: Is like, would you rather trade a like Grizzlies future first? This is from a Grizzlies perspective, not necessarily what another front office would want. But would you rather like trade Roddy now, or trade like this upcoming season's first round pick? Same goes to Laravia. Um, so, would you rather trade like maybe an unknown? I guess for like a little bit more of a known, still pretty unknown. These rookies are. 
Um, but I've always thought it was interesting, like you see the OGs, like two firsts, all that kind of stuff. What instead of two firsts, it was a little Raviana first or something like that. I just want to know y'all's thoughts thoughts there. I at this point much I, I value our first round picks uh, pretty low at this point. Like I, I'd rather deal one of those because I think they're always going to be in the low twenties or the high twenties. I guess is how you should say twenty five through thirty. And at this point, I think both Roddy and the Ravia are in a like positionally they're they're going to be. I guess filling in the gaps of guys that I think could be dealt in the future. And so I, I value those and we're, they're already in our system. We've already seen some upside from like, if you compare where Roddy is now to when we recorded our quarterly report, like unbelievable, my probably the most improved out of anybody in our group. And we know what Laravia can do. I think he's just going to get a lot of time in the G league this year. It looks like, but like another sharpshooter. And at this point too, I'm like, I don't, I don't know. It, I don't want to push our luck even further than we already have. The fact that we've hit on just about every pick we've made is absurd. And like having, I, I believe in King Climbing, but I mean, why why ruin a good thing that we already have? So it's kind of a bird in, a hands, in the hand situation. Yeah, I think one, one thing to think about with the picks too is that like for the Bane, for instance, was not a pick we had. Like we were willing to give up some second round picks and like uh, the Grizzlies love going into the first round against a team that's b- due to either roster crunch or that salary cap does not want to pick anybody. And we jump in, you give, throw them whatever they need, like asset wise, like sec- some second rounders to grab that first round pick. So I think that for that reason, I'm pretty low, but I mean, that's, and that's kind of like my, um, but I'll say that, uh, so, but to that, you know, to go with my next tier, so my a thousand tiers, uh, but my tier seven, which is I f- for the dynasty tier. So this is my tier like for a dynasty for us being a title contender for the next 10 years. Uh, I do have Roddy uh, basically that he's my only player in that tier that so far to me for everything will said. And then un- underneath him, I do have all the first round draft picks past 2024. So in other words, I give us two years with all the guys that we have signed and I just 2025, I just get nervous when you give away a pick in three years because, you know, one of the things about a dynasty, which you even look at the Spurs, you look at the Warriors, and like this is who I'm thinking we are trying to become. You, there is the disaster year where like things happen, you get injuries to key players, and you just don't perform. And that might be a year where we want to pick. Also, in two years is when we're going to be super capped. And probably in the luxury tax, and so then we might want to keep some picks. It's when you draft Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, it's when you it's when you draft Kawhi Leonard exactly. So so for that, all that said, so that that's like that's sort of the way I think for this year's first round pick, and so the twenty twenty three and the twenty twenty four first round pick, they're as low as it goes. I mean, I am they are free. I'm giving away like candy. Like I don't even care. They're pennies to me because of both. Um, the fact that we drafted five guys this year and because I think if we love somebody, like if there's a sense where in the next two years, somebody drops to us that we love in the late first round, I think we're going to go get them. Like, I just think we'll give up some assets. We'll figure it out that we don't need our own pick to do that. So that's what I'd say. Yeah. Melton was a draft day trade. So there you go. Where were your next guys tier or tie? That was tier tie. That was it. Uh, I can finish mine out. Uh, I have <laughs> look at this. So, humor, I appreciate everybody humoring me. Tier eight 
is I, I have two different uh, names for it. I have it the uh, a put the push. In other words, sure, but it kind of hurts a little. Like it's okay, like it's okay to trade them, but it hurts a little. Um, or rich man's Marco Guterich division. This is going to really anger all of y'all. <laughs> the rich man's Marco Guterich division, which is uh, Laravia and Lofton Jr. So that's where I have them. I, I definitely think uh, both of them would hurt a little to get rid of, but I do not. Uh, I, I'm man. I would love it if he was like the next the 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 seventh sixth seventh man who comes off the bench and dominates people like some of y'all think, but. Uh, I have very little hope for him because I think he's just a defensive traffic cone still. So, but Laravian Lofton, that would be that Hard. tier nine. Um, uh, basically, uh, is Danny Green and a first round twenty twenty four pick, and I basically have that as we've been offering it for Beasley Division already. We're already been calling the Jazz every day for the last two weeks, um, probably for the last two months, offering it for Beasley. Uh, tier ten uh, is my Anthony Burks Division. Uh, which is uh, we overrate him because he's from Memphis and I don't think he'll be on the team very long. And that's Kennedy Chandler. I know that might be a hot take, um, but uh, and I'd love it if he can be good enough in three years to keep for Tyus. But um, my belief is we'll get a more veteran point guard to back up jaw. If Tyus doesn't want to resign with us and um, and then just uh, that's it. So and I, I didn't put Vince Williams Jr. in just because, you know, he's a two way player. So. And, and and along with the first round pick, twenty twenty three, just don't don't the, like free candy. If people want them, give them away. Man, this has been a really interesting exercise because I feel like the biggest variability guys are Tyus, Zaire, and Brandon, and Santi. Like those are kind of the four that I noticed were all kind of over the board. And, and so, all three of y'all hate Jaron compared to me. <laughs> Tier number two. Yeah, yeah. He, I would trade tier Jaren one, for I one. would cheer, trade Jaren for Giannis. That's where I have him. Uh, but yeah, I think about it honestly. <laughs> Giannis is it's like, that point in the pod, <laughs> folks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, let's let get back to me where Jaren is at twenty seven. So I love it. All right, any any final thoughts? <laughs> he is the best player in the world, but he uh, Jaren fits our timeline better. <laughs> I love it. Uh, any any kind of miscellaneous thoughts about anything in the in the Grizzlies NBA zeitgeist that we need to hit before we before likelihood we, we make a trade? What do y'all think? You can throw out a percentage, odds, will degenerate. Uh, yeah. What do the odds say? <laughs> Just kidding. What do y'all think? Y'all think a lot of buzz is going around? Obviously, do y'all think we actually make a trade? I think it's okay. I think most people would say that it's more likely than not like out there that aren't in the Grizzlies circle, but I just really think it's probably in the, I think it's less than 30% chance. Like Danny Green's contract is the one thing that's keeping me from going way lower because it's just like the per, like $10 million. It's the expiring. We have a bunch of draft picks like that to me is a deal where you improve on the margins. And I hope it's Beasley but I don't know if it will be. It depends on if the Jazz get a better offer. But he, I think it's 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 like deals in the past, for instance, with like Culver. Like I'm, I am assuming we called every single team and was like, can you give us a second round pick? Like your worst second for Culver. And nobody would budge. But like if they had said yes, we would have dealt him in a heartbeat. So I kind of think about it like that. I mean, obviously Danny Green's more important. 
potentially than Culver, but at the same time, I mean, like if we're looking up in June and he just expires and we weren't able to find a trade partner, like I wouldn't be surprised. So I would say less than 30. Yeah. Same, same here. I mean, I do think the good thing is that while I don't think we're going to get a lot of chance to see Danny green, I do think he's already started five on five work. I do think our front office and our, and our coaching staff is going to at least experience, like, is there a chance that Danny Green become because honestly, if Danny Green's just the Danny Green last year before he hurt himself, he's exactly what we need, um, and we already have him, and he has none of the baggage that Beasley has, and the multiple titles, and so, uh, so that's the sense. But I just that that's and so that's the way I feel. I think they will try. I just think again, it's hard to see. Um, it's I just there's just so many factors that have to go right for us to make a trade that I think improves us that I just would be surprised. I think I'm going like less than 10% that we do something. I just, I just really think that this front office is going to try one more year with what we've got. And I don't know, like the Danny green podcast is definitely something um, that is a slog to work through, but, but he just, I don't know, like listening to him talking about it, it just kind of feels like he feels like he's going to be on this team for a bit. Like he, you know, every player's going to be confident in himself. But I could just see him taking the court for us towards the end of the season and like stepping in and leading us in some ways and not getting rid of that one. Um, We're not getting rid of him. So I, I, I like putting no expectation that we actually do anything. I, you know, and maybe even no desire. I think I'm kind of cool with us trying one more, like giving it one more shot and then being like, Hey, you've got a lot of pieces you can move in the off season. We sort of follow the Spurs template where they didn't make a lot of in in mid season trades. And, and I think I'm cool with that. I think I'm really cool with like, let's not disrupt what we've built this season momentum wise. And let's see what we can go do. And then, you know, if we face this, you know, the, the craft crap, warriors in the second round or first round and lose then they'll know they have to make a trade and they'll really they'll have the data to prove that they got to go get do y'all think uh question for y'all backing off of that do you all think this upcoming five game west coast you know swing especially a week you know in a week playing golden state warriors january 25th do you think and how we play in that game do you think that will have any effect or do you think they're already kind of this is the plan? Or do you think that we can do anything, we can play in any way between now and the trade deadline to kind of alter the way our front of office is approaching things? I think this front office has already got a plan. I think I think to react to like a five-game stretch like that would be uncharacteristic of this front office. So I think they already know. I think they've already put feelers out there. They probably know that, you know, someone like Danny Green is maybe not someone they want to deal with because he's really trying to maximize every scenario. And we just haven't, t- we really haven't hurt ourselves in any type of trade that we've done. It's been very mu- mutually beneficial. And so I don't know. I just, I really, yeah, that's my, that's my hunch. Uh, yeah, I 100% agree. Uh, Honestly, if they do react, then that reflects poorly on them, in my opinion. Um, especially if they are, you know, truly trying to be like the next Spurs and we are looking at a decade of winning, hopefully longer, 
if they look at a five game five game stretch and be like, oh man, we lost the Warriors twice in a row, which oddly enough, before the season started, I guess before the playoffs started last year, we were the Warriors kryptonite. That's what everyone kept saying. Like, God, the Warriors do not want to see the Grizzlies. Ja gets hurt and they go on to win, but they literally go on to win the whole thing. So everyone's like, Warriors own the Grizzlies now. Like that's the dumbest narrative of all time. Um so yeah, I, I hope they don't make a rash decision like that. And I don't I don't think yeah, I definitely don't think they will. I think there's only two things that could change it. Number one, if we have some sort of catastrophic injury to a starter, because this is the time after February 9th trade deadline, like we're not going to have an, the ability except for signing buyout guys to improve our roster at all or fill in any gaps. So if there's some injury to a to a Bain or a Dylan or or Stephen Adams, like I could see us dealing Danny Green to get an actual true five who can start in the playoffs and, you know, start, not play a lot of minutes, but at least like uh, match up well with bigger fives. And then the other thing would be if Danny Green, given the report of five on five, comes back way sooner than we think and maybe uh, increases value on the market for, for what he is. And then maybe other teams start to say yes to deals they were originally saying no to because of the injury status. Like those are the only two things. And I think both of, both of those things are, are the Danny Green thing is a long shot because he's said himself he doesn't expect to be back prior to All-Star break. And then the other thing is just you can't control it. But I mean, if we truly think we have a we can win a title this year, then I don't know. There if we do have some sort of injury, I think it's a conversation for sure. And to Brantley's point about how he you know, front office already has a plan in place. They already have this, you know, probably the whiteboard's already been laid out. Like, I just keep thinking of, like, Bruce Brown for Denver this year. If we wanted Bruce Brown, we could have easily went out and got Bruce Brown this past summer. Like, if you – you know, we listed so many, like, Melton replacements of, like, different guys. Bruce Brown was on that list. We just drafted a guy instead. So, it's it's like the Beasley – because that's the way I'm trying to think of it myself. Like, Beasley – you know, when I look at it just straight on, I'm like, God, that makes so much sense. But on the other hand, I try to remember, like, if we wanted a player like that, we could have easily just already had a player like that. You know what I mean? And we don't. And maybe front office obviously can change their thoughts and change the way they're doing things, team building wise and stuff like that. Maybe they didn't expect us to be this good right now. I would argue that they probably did. Um, but it's like if if they already wanted something like that, it could have been achieved, and it hadn't been. So part of me is like, if it wasn't done already, it's probably not going to be done now, to Brantley's point, under 10%. That's kind of also what I'm trying to think about too. And I just <clears> – I think that just reading between the um, the narratives of things and the reports of what seems true versus speculative – the one thing we know is that the Grizz kicked the tires on KD. And they said, we'll give you whatever you want except these three. Our, you know, job, Bain, trip. So to me that says, and I, we've said this a couple of times before, that strategically they are going, they were willing to go all in on something that they know significantly increases their probability to win a championship and doesn't sacrifice the future. Those two things have to be true. And I think that the, the pillars of like the core of those three are the future. And they 
it's speculated that Katie would help them win this year and next year and maximize Jaws probability John Jaren's and this core's probability right now over the next over the short term. So like to me, I just don't see us doing anything right now to sacrifice that potential in this off season. I'm not saying I don't have a list of, of types like that, but like like let's just start throwing random ideas out there like the clips decide to like off like just blow it up and maybe we get Paul George a little cheaper than what we got KD. I don't know. That seems sort of interesting, and that maybe maximizes the probability. I sort of think that they're thinking about that type of move versus a fringe move this year because we can still learn and collect data this year that helps inform a bigger move in the offseason. That's a great point. Summer is a lot easier to make deals because you're not playing and you have time to reset your team in other ways as well. So definitely something to watch. We're going to be back with you uh, prior to the trade deadline to talk even more in depth, and we might even have some you know, new information to, to discuss. But this has been a really helpful exercise, I know, for me in, uh, in particular to just kind of get my thoughts out on, on paper but also on, on the podcast. But we will be back with you um, very soon. Until then, for Kraft, for Ty, for Brantley, I'm Will. Talk to you soon.